this morning. What was the biggest day in your life? What was the red letter day in your life? You know, red letter stands for big day. Everyone say big day. I mean, maybe it was the day that you graduated from high school. High school for me, that wasn't a red letter day. That was a just get out of jail day. But, but maybe a red letter day for you was the day that you got engaged. Or maybe it was the day that you got married. Or the, 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 the first child that you brought into the world. Maybe it was your first job. I mean, for every person, a red letter day has different meaning and has a different uh, uh, perspective in their life because different things mean different things to people. Red letter day in my life, the, the red letter day of all red, red letter days was August 28th, 1987. It was the day that I would marry the woman of my dreams. It was a red letter day. Everyone say, Amen. It was a red-letter day, at least in my life, and honestly, I can barely remember the events leading up to that day. I mean, I was lost. I was dazed. I was stunned. I was confused. I had really no idea what I was doing. But, but that day, I said yes. I said yes, and we were married, and it was a, a wonderful day with friends and family. And, and the next day, we made our trek back to my hometown, Tucson, Arizona. But things didn't turn out quite the way that I had planned. I thought we would have this wonderful trip, and we would make our way back. We had all of our worldly possessions in a little 6 by 12 U-Haul as we had left Portland to move back to Tucson. And, and as we were moving back, I got into the vehicle that I'd borrowed from my brother-in-law, and, and we were driving back, back to my hometown, and my wife began to cry. I don't know why she was crying. I didn't quite understand it. But I thought for a little while, you know, I mean, just kind of the saying goodbye and leaving her sister. And maybe it was just the joy of being married to me that glorious day. I wasn't quite sure. But, but on our way back, uh, on our way down, um, I, I think it's uh, uh, I-5, all the way down the, the coast, the west coast from California, my wife continued to cry. And she cried. And she cried. And she cried. No amount of cons consoling, no amount of questioning. I, I couldn't get the answer out of her. I couldn't understand what was happening. It was just, it was beyond me. But I know that that day didn't turn out the way that I had planned. It wasn't a day that I had envisioned in my life. I, I wasn't envisioning spending that, that drive from Portland, Oregon to Tucson, Arizona with a brand new wife, with a woman of my dreams, with my family in tow, which I came later to realize that's why she was crying. <laughs> My whole family was following us behind, and we were trying to make our way back. And uh, sometimes our lives don't turn out quite the way that we plan. Sometimes our lives don't go the way that we plan on. Jesus' life turned out exactly the way that he planned. Jesus' life is, is completely opposite in every way from you and I. And that, Jesus, although he was fully man, Jesus never sinned. You and I were born into this world sinners in need of a Savior. The week surrounding the events that led up to Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, they were grand. It was a high holy day. For over 1,400 Jews, years the Jews had celebrated this time. And when they were able, and when they were, were able to make this trek, they would make their way back to Jerusalem. It was a holy day. It was the day they called the Passover. It was a day of celebration, but it was also a day of remembrance. It was a day of remembrance and a day of rejoicing as they reflected on the, what God had done in their lives as he brought them out of Egypt after 400 years of captivity. 
It was a day of rejoicing in that they had become a nation. A people who were held in bondage had become one people and one nation. It was a day of rejoicing. And as Jesus entered into this city, lots of things were taking place. My idea this morning that I want to communicate to us is in your handout this morning. And it says this. It says, to see Jesus made famous in our city as we live to obey, give, worship, and serve our King. As we, we seek today, we seek today to live, to obey, to give, and to serve our King. And so that Jesus' name may become famous in our city. As I look at this story this morning, as I look at the life of Jesus and what he did, Jesus always had to deal with problems. The problems that Jesus addressed and the problems that Jesus dealt with in our story is this, that mankind are sinners. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, the Bible says that all of us have strayed. He was despised and rejected of men and a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As he, as he hid it from our faces from him, he was despised and we esteemed him not. As Jesus lived, as Jesus walked, and as Jesus served his generation, not everyone, not everyone received the message that he brought. This story is profound because it's, it's found in all four Gospels. The story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was recorded by all the writers that wrote of the New Testament Gospels. It was a time where hundreds of thousands of people had gathered together and Jesus had gathered to be with his friends. As a matter of fact, Luke's Gospel says it like this. Jesus had passionate or fervent desire to eat this last meal, this Passover meal with his friends. Jesus loved his friends. Jesus was a great friend. He was a great friend to these brethren. And although they didn't understand everything about who he was in his life or what he came to do, they knew that this week had significance. There were things that were surrounding this event. There, were, there was a buzz in the air. There was kind of a festive atmosphere. And, and a lot of it had to do with what Jesus had done leading up to this event. You see, for three years, Jesus did miracles. For three years, Jesus told people about the kingdom of God and how they were to live their life. For, G for three years, Jesus was on mission. And, and unlike our lives, Jesus had a plan. And Jesus was fulfilling his plan. He was living his plan. He was walking out his plan, coming to this final day. Right before this week, Jesus does the greatest miracle that he had done up to that point in his life. He had raised a man from the dead who had been who, raised a man who had been dead for four days. His name was Lazarus. And because of this miracle, the fame of Jesus went everywhere. There was a huge buzz. I mean, there was just a huge buzz among the people. Who is this man? Who is this guy? John's gospel actually records these words. The people said, who is this person? Who is this person? What is he doing? What's his life about? You see, Jesus came and there was a problem and people rejected and despised and misunderstood who he was. But there were some people that were in the crowd that day. Some of the people in the crowd that day, a particular group of the people were the Romans. Jerusalem at that time was under Roman occupation. 
Roman, Rome had, had conquered the whole known world of that generation. And basically the Roman people, they had assimilated these different cultures and these different religious groups. And the Jews were just another group of people. And what they really wanted was just for the, the Jews kind of to do their own thing, to have their own religious practices, but don't interfere with their life. And so what they would do is they would just say, okay, we're going to give you one of your guys to rule over you. You guys do your little stuff, but don't bother us. The Romans, uh, they didn't want to be confronted with who this Jesus was. They, they didn't want him impacting their decisions and their sexuality. They didn't want this Jesus to impact the way that they treated other people, the kind of life that they would live. They, 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 they didn't have time to be bothered with Jesus. Who is this Jesus? I mean, the Romans aren't much different than many people in our generation. It's just kind of, okay, you guys go and do your thing, and you guys are going to be Christians, or you guys want to do this religious practice, whatever. That's up to you. Just don't bother us with it. There not only were the Romans in the crowd that day, there was the religious in the crowd, the Pharisees and, and the religious people who would gather together by the hundreds of thousands to celebrate this Passover feast. They'd come together. They'd gather together. And the religious people, the, the most religious people, for the most part, just couldn't get it. They just couldn't get it. Jesus was messing with their system of religion because he was doing, he was dealing with the internals of the heart. It wasn't about an outward appearance or an outward show or, or externalities of worship, but it was about worship that truly came from the heart. Jesus' name was Messiah or Christos or the anointed one. Jesus made some radical claims about who he was. Jesus had said some things that in the common Jewish ear, they would be blasphemous. It would be like if there was someone in our day claiming to be God. You can Google the Internet and you can, you can type in the name Jesus. And you can, or Jesus the Christ, or Jesus the Messiah, or Jesus. You, you just type in his name and you'll see all kinds of people in our generation who claim to be Jesus. There are all kinds of people who claim to be a Messiah. I mean, most of the time they're just misguided or, you know, the, 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 the elevator isn't floating all the way to the top of the stack or they're two cards short of a full deck. I mean, most of the time that people claim to be Jesus are a little bit off. But there are people who really believe that they have some kind of revelation, some kind of special call or anointing, that they are the Messiah that was to come. For the common Jewish person, this was too much. In John's gospel, the Pharisees said to one another, this is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Religious people abound in every world, in every worldview. All over the world, people are religious. You see, religion does something, it satisfies, it appeases some kind of desire that you've done something. You've done some kind of work. You've done something to appease your God. Man, whether they're Muslim or whether they're Hindu or whether they're Buddhist or, or what, whatever their religious stripe is, there's something in them that has this desire to worship, has this desire to be religious. Men cling to the religion. Men fight for the religion. Men die for the religion. But Jesus did not come to establish a religion. He came to bring a relationship from God to men that had been separated by sin and by Satan and by the work of the enemy. Jesus had come to bring life. Jesus had come to bring people back into right relationship. 
Not about the externalities of our practice, but Jesus came. He was the embodiment of grace and of truth. Jesus loved people. Jesus demonstrated his love by the way that he treated people, the way that he acted. One woman that I think of was a woman who Jesus met at a well. He went out of his way to connect with her. He knew that this woman was going to be there. You see, what I know about Jesus, what I know about Jesus is that Jesus goes out of his way to connect with you. Your life was not an accident. Your life didn't just happen. You just didn't just end up where you are today. There is a God who knows. There is a God who sees. There is a God who cares. And he orchestrates the the events and the details of our life. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 6. A bird falls to the ground and your father cares. He says the father knows the hairs that are numbered even upon your head. The details of our life matter to God. The religious weren't the only ones that were there that day. There were disciples. He was their teacher their friend. And although the things that he said might have been hard for them, they didn't really understand sometimes. The disciples, after hearing one of Jesus' teaching about blood and about the bread and about eating flesh and drinking his blood, they said these words. They said, oh, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? The things that Jesus said were hard. They were difficult. They weren't difficult to understand. They were just hard to live. I mean, you would hear what he said, the radical nature. Your per, a person comes up and they hit you on the cheek. You're to turn the other cheek. There's no way. That was never taught in Judaism. The Jewish mindset and belief is that, is that listen, I'm going to hit you before you hit me. Right now, there's a huge conflict in our, our world. Our president was, was in Jerusalem this week, and he meet, was meeting with Jewish leaders and Palestinian leaders. And our president, as he went to Israel, he was trying to kind of hold on to some kind of universal peace. There's this, there's this hope, and there's this desire that they can just kind of bring these two sides together, and they can trade a little bit of land and do some things and get everybody to get along. And i got to tell you today, they're not going to get along. It's not going to happen that way. You see, there's something in both sides and both natures and the human nature that wants to protect their own. As a matter of fact, I, was, uh, I met with the, the rabbi, the rabbi friend of mine this week in Ormond Beach, and we were talking about this issue. And the mindset of the average Jewish person who's religious and orthodox is, listen, we've got to strike them first. We've got to hit them first. We're not just going to let them hit us in the eye. We're not going to let Iran drop a nuclear bomb in one of our cities. We're going to nail them first. I mean, it's exactly the opposite of what Jesus taught. Jesus said, listen, if a person asks you for your coat, you give them your cloak too. Jesus said, listen, you just, you know, you, it isn't just the act of committing adultery that's adultery. Jesus said, if you even look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. I mean, Jesus said some things that were radical. They were really hard to understand. But the disciples loved Jesus. They loved Jesus because they had experienced his love. They knew who he was. They knew who he was at his core and his being. Peter actually had a revelation that he was the Christ. But when it came to this final week, even his disciples left him. And then there were the crowds. There were the multitudes of people. They wanted Jesus for what he could give them. They wanted Jesus for what he could give them. 
for the Jewish people that had gathered that day and that they had laid their cloaks out on the, upon the road. And, and as Jesus rode in from Bethany to Jerusalem, which was about two miles, as Jesus rode in that day, they were crying, Hosanna, hail to our king, save us, deliver us. Hail to our king, save us, deliver us. See, their concept of Jesus If he was the Messiah, he was going to deliver them from the oppression of Rome, and he was going to set up an earthly kingdom, and they were going to kick butt, and they were no longer just going to be under. They were now going to be above. They were going to be the leaders of the world. They were there. The crowds were there. The crowds today are around Jesus. They're around Jesus for what they can get from him. They're around God. They pray when they get into a difficult time or they find themselves in dire straits. They're not interested in changing their life. They're not interested in completely surrendering and obey God's word. Listen, they want what they can get from Jesus. He's like a good luck charm. All over the world, all over our culture, we're a Christian nation, supposedly. We have a Christian concept, a, a, a Christian belief system, and, and some idea, and some some fashion or form. It was the foundation of our culture. But a generation that we live in today is far from that idea. Far from that idea. We want Jesus for what He can do for us. Jesus, that Sunday, that Sunday, Jesus, Jesus came to accomplish a mission. Crowds of people wanted Jesus for what He could do for them. And it was Jesus' moment. This was his moment. Everything that he had done, everything that he had said, all the miracles, all the healings, all the things that Jesus had did in his life were coming to this point. It was all about this moment. Young man that uh, I've known for many, many years wrote a book. It's called Jesus Is. And uh, he's become very well known in America because a young man by the name of Justin Bieber tweeted the the cover of his book. Justin, I, I guess, is one of the largest Twitter people in the world. And, and that one Twitter, that one little Twitter that went out in mass caused this young man by the name of Judah to become an instant celebrity. I mean, instantly he was being interviewed. I mean, he was on Good Morning America and, and uh, all kinds of t- – this last week he was on all these different programs. And the week before he was on Fox News and CNN. And he was talking about Jesus. This last week on Good Morning America they were interviewing him and – and Judas says, yeah, we're, we're number one, right? Our book is number one right now for the moment, for the moment. We don't know how long that moment's going to last, but for the moment, we're number one. The fact is, is that it was the moment of Jesus's life. The events of Jesus's life had brought this moment to pass. And it's the moment for our life. It's the moment for your life. For you have no promise of tomorrow. I have no promise of tomorrow. All of us stand here today at the precipice from here to eternity. Pastor Dan's down on the front row. This past Thursday, his father, his father passed away. This past Thursday, his father's life ended. Not another chance. Not another moment. It was done. It was finished. Two weeks ago, Dave Lee sitting on the front row. His dad's moment, his dad's life was done. A moment just like that. See, the life that you and I live doesn't have a promise of tomorrow. Jesus was on a mission. Jesus was on a purpose. And Jesus accomplished that day, 
that day as he entered into Jerusalem, he revealed that he was the Messiah, the Savior, and the only way to salvation. Acts chapter 4 says, and it is by that name, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, it is by that name whom God raised from the dead that man stands before you and is healed. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which men must be saved. That name. What's that name? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The word Christ in the Greek is Christos. It's the transliteration of the word Messiah from the Hebrew. Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. Jesus that day revealed himself to be Messiah. He did it in proclamation. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. He proclaimed it. He proclaimed that he was the Messiah. He proved it by his miracles. In Matthew's gospel, it says, They brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished and said, Could this be the Son of David? Could this be the Messiah? His life modeled it. In Mark's gospel, the Bible says that some friends brought their man who was a paralytic, and they brought him to Jesus. That they, that they had such a faith and confidence that Jesus could heal him, that they would literally, they would take this man on top of a roof, they would pull the roof off, and they would drop him down into the middle of the crowd that had gathered inside of that home. And the Bible says that when Jesus looked at this man, it says that they came to him, and Jesus saw the, their faith, and he said to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. There's no one else that could forgive your sins. Listen, it doesn't matter how many good works you try to do. It doesn't matter what religious practice of faith you try to trail down. The fact is there was only one who could die for the sins of the world, and that was the Messiah, the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, the one who came for a purpose, the one who came for a mission. Jesus proved it. Jesus proved it. His life proved it. His ability to forgive sins. See, here's the deal today. You and I today, we're sinners in need of a Savior. And when we come to Christ and we receive His forgiveness, He makes us clean. He makes us clean. We don't become sinless. But listen, now we have the avenue. Now we have the ability that when we sin and lose communion with God and fellowship with God, we can be forgiven again. That's what grace is. That's what grace is. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. Listen today. Your sin today, your sin as a believer, doesn't separate you from union with God. It separates you from communion with God. You see, God died for you, and he made a plan for you. And John said, listen, when you do sin, you can confess your sin, and he's faithful and just to cleanse you from all your wrongdoing. He's not talking about your pre-Christian life. He's talking about your Christian life. You see, that's what the Messiah came to do. The Messiah came to forgive you of your sins. He proclaimed that he is king, and his demands are complete obedience and loyalty. Here's the deal, guys. Here's, this is where the rubber hits the road. This is in our culture today where Jesus gets a right turn or a left turn off many people's highway of life. 
when Jesus starts challenging you to make changes in your life. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Ooh, we don't like the word obey. We don't like the word surrender. We don't like the word submission. I got a little devotional. I get a devotional every day from a couple different people, and one of the ones I get is from Rick Warren. And this morning was on surrender. Surrendering your life. Totally yielding, totally giving your life, every compartment, every component. And it isn't until you fully surrender that you belong to Him. I mean, it's a full out. It's saying, Lord, I surrender my life to you. Jesus said, listen, you can't have two masters. You can't be loyal to two people. You're either loyal to God or you're loyal to yourself. You can't be loyal to both. You only have one loyalty that you must choose if, if you're going to be a worshiper of God. Jesus declared that he alone as Lord was worthy of our worship. He alone This day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem, the Bible says in Matthew's gospel that when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, it wasn't just the adults that were crying out. It was the children crying out. The next two services, our children are going to come in and they're going to sing this song. But the children cried out and they sang, Hosanna to the son of David. The the religious people, the scribes became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what they're saying? Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. See, believers have always worshipped. True disciples have always worshipped God. Abraham worshipped God. Isaac worshipped God. Jacob worshipped God. David worshipped God. You see, these Old Testament men, they had the Spirit of God come upon them, and they were types and figures of the kind of relationship that we would have as New Testament believers when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. The ability for you to worship God in spirit and truth. See, if we don't praise Him, if we don't worship Him, the Bible says even the rocks will cry out. Jesus proved that He was Lord. He was the Lord of all. See, as king, he had authority over all. But as Lord, he had ownership over all. His ownership over all. And as owner, he's worthy of your worship and of your praise. So what's our response today? What's our response? The first thing that I want you to see today, our response, that we should follow the example and live out God's plan for our life. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, For I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Not your will. In our American culture, we have this concept of freedom. And we are able to, we are free to choose. And God gives us a free will. But the prayer that should be upon the heart of every believer is, Father, not my will, but your will be done. See, the will of God, it's not always easy. It's not always easy, but it's always good in your life. I'm not saying that to do the right thing, to listen to God, to walk and step with what God wants to do is an easy thing, but it's always the right thing in your life. It's not a mystery. It's not a mystery. When God begins to work in your heart, the next step, the next thing that you're supposed to do, he starts to give you a desire. 
And then when God starts to give you a desire, He starts to make a way of provision. And if there's no door provision for the next step, then that's a closed door. We don't like closed doors. We don't like to be told no. We don't like to be told that we can't do something. But God has your best in mind today. Living God's plan. Living God's purpose. We believe the words of the prophet Jeremiah where God said, I know the plans that I have for you. God has plans to prosper and to do good in your life. The second thing this morning, our second response this Palm Sunday, is that we should, we should live the example or follow the example and obey Christ's words. In Luke's gospel, the Bible says that the disciples went into the village. And Jesus told them, he said, listen, go to the village. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. And no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untie it? Tell them the Lord needs it. And those who, sent, those who were sent ahead found it just as he told them. The obedience of the disciples. They obeyed the words of Christ. Obedience proves our love. Obedience proves our desire to follow after him. Obedience in your life and my life produces great blessings. Surrendering our lives to Christ produces great blessings, great peace. An indicator in my life and in your life that things are not quite right is an absence of peace. You're making a decision about your future. And you have an unsettledness and you can't get peace about it. Don't press through. Just wait. Wait on the Lord. See, the obedience of God, the obedience of, of serving a life surrendered to God brings love, brings joy, brings peace, brings patience, brings kindness. See, anytime we step out of the will of God, the opposite is true in our life. A lack of peace, a lack of joy, a lack of kindness, lack of faith. All those things are an indication we're not walking in step with the will that God has for us. This Palm Sunday, we're reminded that disciples obey Jesus. The third thing I want you to see this Palm Sunday is that we are to follow the example of the donkey owners and give generously. Now listen, I don't know about you, but if someone came up to me and said, hey, I got to take your car because this guy over here needs it. I'm like, nah. It ain't going to happen. All right. Hey, Roger, that new truck that you just bought, that's a beautiful truck. I need that truck because this guy over here said he wants to ride into town really slow so everybody can worship him. What do you say? You're like, yeah, I don't think so. That ain't going to happen. I mean, think about it. I mean, sometimes we read these stories. Oh, yeah, cool. The donkey owners. You got to be kidding me. Not only did they give him a little donkey, a foal or a little coal of a donkey, they also gave him the mama donkey. This, the donkey that Jesus rode on had never been ridden before. Now, I don't know much about animals, but when I was a little boy, my dad owned horses. And I grew up around horses for about five or six years as a little kid. And, and I remember going out to the ranch where we had our horses at, and one of the cows had just had a calf. And I had this bright idea that I was going to get inside this little stable and try to ride on top of that calf. I was about third grade. I got to tell you, it didn't happen. That little calf never let me get close. I tried to get to have my sister hold this little calf, and I tried to go over there to get on that thing. Man, there is no way I couldn't ride that calf. It wasn't going to let me do it. The natural instinct for animals is not to allow you to ride them. It's not the natural instinct. 
And these owners, not only did they give the little coal, but they also gave the mama donkey for Jesus to be led into the streets of Jerusalem by. What was it about their life? I mean, why would they do that? I don't know why they did it, but what they modeled to you and I is that they were generous to Jesus. They were generous to the mission for which Christ had come. They lived generous lives. They lived open-handed lives. That little girl last week that put $5 in an offering. $5 to her was a big deal because it was her last $5. It was her last $5. And God saw her faith. God saw the faith of that woman and rewarded her. He rewarded her obedience. And listen, when we live generously before God, the blessings of the Lord always follow. God blesses those who live open-handed. The favor of the Lord goes before you. God's favor is upon our lives. The fourth thing that I want you to see this morning is that when we follow the example of the multitudes and we make His praise glorious. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, the Bible says, when He came near to the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace and heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is He who comes. The whole crowd begin to worship. What we do when we gather together on Palm Sunday, what we do when we gather together on a Wednesday night, what we do when we gather with other believers and we begin to lift our voice, we are offering worship to our Messiah, the one who has saved us from our sins. We are offering worship to our King, the one who has complete authority and control over our life. We're offering worship to our Lord, the one who owns us, the one the Bible says who bought us and purchased us with his own blood. We offer a worship. Oh, you got to be waiting. We're running around the room right now. We make His praise glorious. And when we do that, when we do that, when we follow the example to live God's plan, when we obey, we follow the words that Jesus has spoken to love our enemies, to do good to those who persecute us and say things about us. When we follow and obey the words of Jesus. When we follow the examples of the donkey owners and live generously, when we follow the crowds of disciples who offered their worship to Jesus, guess what? People take notice. People take notice. A city takes notice because lives are changed. And there were some Greeks that came and they said, we want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. The reflection of my life is Do I live the kind of life that makes people want to know Jesus? Do I live the kind of life that causes people to want to know Christ? And that's the question for all of us today, isn't it? I mean, isn't that really what Palm Sunday is about for us? Are we living the kind of life in our workplace that people say, hey, there's something about him. I want to meet Jesus because of that person's life. This coming week, we're we're celebrating Holy Week. And I, I, I tell you, Wednesday night and Thursday night and Friday night, all this week, my heart has just set itself to this coming Resurrection Sunday. 
I believe it's a significant weekend in our church. I believe it's a significant weekend for the people in this city who don't know Jesus yet, but because of our worship, because of our praise, because of our life, the example that we've lived in this community, people are going to come. They're going to come to this church for the very first time. And we're praying for hundreds of people to come. And we're praying that when the message, the red letter message of resurrection is preached next Sunday, we're praying that God himself would show up in their life. We're praying that God would pull back the veil of their heart and Jesus would show himself as their Messiah, their King, and their Lord. I challenge you today. I'm challenging myself. There's a lot of introspection in my own life, but I'm challenging us today. Are we living lives that people are asking, I want to see Jesus? Can we commit ourselves this Palm Sunday to obey, live, and give, and pray so others will want to come and see Jesus in our midst? Can you bow your heads? Father, we thank you this morning for your grace. Father, we thank you for the word. It's everlasting. It's eternal. We thank you for the ministry of your spirit that's here today. God, I pray that each one of us would take your words to heart. Jesus, the example that you lived, help us to follow. Jesus, the example that you live, to live the purpose of God in our generation. Father, I pray for this first service and for this city church family. God, that our hearts would be committed to you this Palm Sunday, this holy week. God, that we would set our lives to be worshipers of you. Jesus, bless your people. You're wonderful and you're awesome. Come on, can we give God a praise this morning? Can we tell them we love in this place? Hallelujah.